0: Are you one of the three quarters of people struggling with a fear or anxiety around public speaking? Do you wish you could communicate more effectively, develop more meaningful relationships, grow your business and access greater opportunities? Welcome to Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. In this series, I'll draw on my own experience from terrified teenager to UK award-winning speaker and communications coach as well as speaking to a number of special guests, all with one object in mind, to help you communicate more effectively. Ready to grow? Let's get started. Hello everybody, the warmest of welcomes to the Simon Speaks podcast. It's a privilege to welcome you to this episode where I am truly honoured to be sitting with Madeleine Black, who is a TEDx speaker, author, and an all-round remarkable human being for what she's done with her life since experiencing rather more trauma than anybody really should and I'm particularly moved by the, the final line of her blurb on her uh, book Unbroken which I'll just share with you which says Madeline tells her moving and empowering story as she discovers that our lives are not defined by what knocks us down they're defined by how we get back up and I think it's a wonderful phrase on which to start and your name now is the courage cultivator tell us more about that and where that came from if you would Madeline and welcome.
1: Ah thanks, Simon. thanks for having me on your show. It kind of came about um, at the start of lockdown. I did an online speaker 's course with a Canadian guy, and we just kind of looked at what we did and you know what what we wanted people to think of when we do when they see our name and i just thought yeah by by sharing my story, it took me a lot of courage and by hearing other people share their story, I found their courage, and I just want to help people find their own courage to find their voice so we're not held back in life um, because I think if we do if we can't speak our truth we hold ourselves back as like a part of us is numbed out or locked locked away from the rest of us and we really prevent ourselves from living our most authentic life mm. I want to help people find their courage and their voice basically
0: <laughs> I love that and, and you certainly practice what you preach because having having read your book and having watched your TEDx talk uh, it, it is incredibly moving and incredibly powerful that you, although it took you a considerable amount of time and understandably so, uh, you have found the courage to share your own story to the benefit of, of so many people whose lives you've now gone on to touch. Uh, I love the title Unbroken and, and obviously your podcast now is named after the, the book, which is terrific. Yes. When you, When you experienced all that you experienced... And the the common thread I I see in a lot of the interviews I conduct with people is that they experience something terrifically adverse and and, and awfully harrowing, but they're presented with two choices. And this is why I love the title Unbroken. They're presented with this can either completely break me or I can use it to shape my life and I can then use it to help other people. And, and the, the book is a remarkable journey of how you went from being in that, that awful position to, to rebuilding and then taking that experience and changing other people's lives with it. What is it about you that made you use that experience over a period of time to, to now shape your life and other people's lives rather than it taking you somewhere completely different?
1: Yeah, it's a very good question. So I'm also a participant in an organisation called the Global Resilience Project, which is started by Emma Bell. And she's taken 50 of us. And we are all have overcome adversity, all very different stories. But she wants to look at why we're all thrivers, because I guess I'm a thriver now. I don't let what happened to me define me any longer. And I was really interested. I thought, well, what do I do? But I just knew there was always something in me that drove me to clean up the trauma. I always... Maybe because I'm a bit stubborn, <laughs> I just always knew that I just refused to let this ruin my life because it hung over me like a shadow forever, and I didn't want it to always be in the background, always interfering with every decision I made, every every plan I made. It was always, well, "What if such and such will happen? Or what if there's going to be them? there? you know, everything I had to kind of research and. Fear was just behind it all. And I just got tired of being afraid and tired of being ashamed and held down by my trauma that I was just determined. I don't know where the determination came from. I think I was very lucky. I was born to survivor parents. As you know, you've read my book. My dad was a Holocaust survivor who Mm. lost all of his family. They were all murdered. His little brother was just six when they were all killed in Auschwitz. And my mum had her neck broken in an operation and she healed herself. And if you met my dad, he just loved life. You know, he laughed and could never understand it because his sister, my aunt, the only one that survived had chronic schizophrenia, agoraphobia, paranoia, OCD. And my dad looked like nothing affected him. But now I see his laughter really was his strength. You know, that's really what helped him. And he said that life is for living. And I really believe that. And as you said, from the front of the cover, I, I don't believe it's what happens to us but this is what we do with it. So, yeah, I was knocked down many, many times, but eventually I it's led to stand up and not get over anymore.
0: Hmm. Knocked knock down is an understatement. Uh, and and as I read about your experiences, I, I, as a man, I am harrowed by them because I, I look at my own gender sometimes with disdain. Uh, and, and I mentioned to you before that, that this topic, although I've never witnessed or read about anything quite like that before, um, the topic of rape is is close to home for me, and uh, it's one of those things that I, that I read and I just thought how, and I know you've dealt with all these questions and more besides, but how how can people have such little regard for another human mm. being, um, and 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 it was harrowing. But what what you demonstrated through through the book is that you faced so many setbacks in that journey, not just the repeated experiences, but then. Finally, talking to your parents about it, and and having the, I say, indifferent response from from your friend and and also from from your mother. But then you went on to talk about why your mother had that response all those years later when you finally talked about it. What what did you learn about people through through those experiences? Either either people that have endured experiences or people that that are perpetrators. What is it about people? Some of the biggest lessons you've taken away. Yeah.
1: I I really think that we are a very immature species living on the planet and we have a lot to learn. So I do believe that hurt people hurt people. You know, when they were dehumanizing me, when they were raping me, I realized they're just dehumanizing themselves. We're all born with goodness, but you know, and the real essence of me, whatever they did to me, they could never touch that. It just got covered up with trauma and trauma and trauma. So my job has been Finding it again, you know, taking off all those layers that have been put on top of me, but their goodness was in there as well, and and they just weren't connected to that in any way, and yeah, it, it's the uh, it's tough. It, it's really tough to witness what people go through because I do believe we become an equal, you know, we all are born babies. If you've looked at a baby, you've got a little spot you just too. There's no evil or nastiness in that little person. There's just, there's just goodness and joy and, you know, life and adventure. And then I wonder what happened to these two to make them behave so violently towards me, you know? Where did it go so wrong? How did they get so corrupted, conditioned by life that made them think it was okay to treat another human being like that? And that's where I feel that they were just so disconnected from themselves that uh, they weren't they weren't there, you know? They were just... One was very animalistic. I think he was more animal than human. And yeah, it's, we just have a lot to learn as a species really living on this planet. Mm.
0: The amount of perspective you're able to apply now is, is quite remarkable and, uh, and, and inspiring. Tell, tell me about uh, the, the journey you went on in terms of rebuilding, because I obviously having read the book. I know about Stephen and I know about your wonderful daughters. Um, and, and it started in, in Israel.
1: Um. It did, yes. And oh, well, my behaviour was off the wall. Uh, I'd already been caught uh, smoking dope. A lot of my parent by my parents, and they called all my friends to their families to let them know what we were doing. So I wasn't very popular at school. Nobody was speaking to me, and my parents just wanted to get me away from all the bad crowds that I was kind of caught up in. What they didn't know when I went to Israel for a year that on the kibbutz they grew grass. <laughs> I was still smoking every day. I've now confessed to my mum. I don't now do any drugs at all, but it was quite, it always made me laugh. I thought, oh, you wanted me to get away and I can just pick it out my back garden. But uh, yeah, I went to Israel for a year and spent six months on the kibbutz and I worked in a town called Ashkelon. And it was just great because I could just push it further away from my head. I could pretend it never happened and meet all these new people that didn't need to know anything about my history. But it was, yeah, it was there in the the last month before I left that I met Stephen, uh, this Glaswegian who had lovely blonde curly hair at the time, no hair to speak of now. And I guess he was just the first man that I really felt safe with because I had so many fears and phobias, mainly about, uh, mainly about being around men, my own safety, uh, my security, being out of control. But instinctively i listened to my gut and we're still together 37 years later and i just knew that i would i would be okay with him you know i knew he felt safe i guess is what i was looking for in somebody then um and when i came back from israel i was in london and he was in back in glasgow and i couldn't believe it he still wanted to be with me because i had no opinion of myself you know it was my self-worth my self-confidence my self-belief was just really down down on the floor and I would just drive her mad and just say, well, why do you want to be with me? You know, you, you could be with anyone. And we would meet it was four mobile phones. And I was only allowed to use my house phone after six o'clock because that was the cheaper calls. And we used to write letters. And I'd go on the overnight bus for four cheap flights. And we'd meet every couple of weeks in Glasgow. And he'd come to London. And uh, yeah, every time we met, we never argued or anything because the time was so precious. And we did that for like two years until he eventually moved to London. And... Really, he just showed me, because I had built this brick wall in front of me, which was great. It prevented people coming in, but it also prevented me from living. You know, it kept me back from being part of life. But he kind of, with his love, I guess he showed me that I was lovable, which I didn't believe. I thought I was just damaged goods and worthless and contaminated. And so with love, he allowed love i could allow his love in and i could then start to give love out as well and slowly over time learned to accept myself even started to like myself until one day i'm really okay with who i am
0: It's is remarkable and uh, and and what i what i found most astonishing about the book as as i got towards the end of it for so long you had put the 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 blame onto the circumstances onto yourself for your own behaviour or your own choices that have put you in a in a vulnerable position and and that 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 made me very sad first of all because I I recognise that you know it's one thing for somebody to to decide to do something that that cloud you know get drunk or whatever but then it's something altogether different for somebody to take advantage of that and and that made me very uneasy but what you did with that at the end of the book was you talked about how you blamed yourself for so long. And then you went on to explain that, well, as, as much damage as those people did to me, they've certainly done more and even irreparable damage to themselves. And you started okay. to then learn that lesson of, of forgiveness. Take, take me through that bit. How, how did you manage to cultivate? Because there will be people listening to this, and I'm sure there will be people who've experienced things in their lives where forgiveness is not even on the cards you know, the anger, the the hurt. And I think about, you know, even in my situation where I've had perhaps smaller things happen or witnessed things happen to people, I I still get that problem with anger and and that struggle to forgive. Um, Teach me. (laughs) How how did you go through that?
1: Well, I always say I was an accidental forgiver, you know, I never intended to because I was filled with hate and rage and anger and plotted all these mad fantasies against them, you know, so they would get it. And I went back to therapy when my eldest daughter became 13. She was the same age as I was when it happened. And all my memories returned. And I was the worst kind of client. So I told my therapist, I wanted to take the pictures away. I didn't want to see them anymore. Obviously, you can't take them away. And I now understand they come back, whether I believed it or not, when you're actually ready to face the memories, they come back for a good reason. And very near to the end, my therapist just out, out, you know, out loud just Suggested something, maybe they weren't born rapists, mm. and I just was so angry. I was so, oh, I was crazy angry with him. I couldn't believe he could say something so ridiculous to me. It was stupid thing to say, but then he sent me on this journey of inquiry, and I just wanted to understand. Like we said before, how did they know to be so violent to someone, and what had they seen or heard or experienced? I really wanted to understand, and somehow. I did feel compassion in my heart, but I don't know how it, it just came into my heart. And I thought, I've done a really, really good job of living my life and cleaning up the trauma and loving life, actually. And they have to live with what they've done to someone else. And I, I don't imagine that's a good, an easy journey. I think that's going to be a difficult journey to live with what you did to someone else. And just like me in the beginning, even if I wasn't aware of what happened, because it took me years to recall my memories from that event. But it came out of me subconsciously. You know, it has to come out somehow, and it leaked out of me. Whether they're aware or they've numbed it out, it's going to impact on their life in some way. You know, it's going to leak out of them. And the idea of forgiveness, I guess, has nothing to do with them. You know, I have to be clear. I'm not a forgiveness preacher. I don't tell people. You know, the only way to heal from rape or sexual abuse is to forgive your attackers, your persecutors, whatever perpetrators. But I don't say that because everybody's got their own path to healing, but this was the path I'd choose. I could also never forgive the act of rape because it's a total violation, not just on your body, but your mind and your psyche. But forgiveness was a decision I could make in my heart. It really, I think, is about understanding. It's about compassion. And it's really cutting all the ties that linked me to them, that linked me to the past and it kind of set me free really because it allowed me just to let go of all those weapons of self-destruction and self-sabotaging and anger that I was, you know, that I was fighting with myself every day. They have nothing to do with all the anger anymore. I was perpetuating that every day living, you know, just a really angry, bitter, horrible person. And once I could find forgiveness, whatever you really think it is, it just allowed me to let it go. I guess it really was total acceptance of what happened to me as well and understanding and compassion and realising if I stayed angry, it's only going to hurt me. It's like drinking poison and expecting them to drop down and die, you know, but I'm actually poisoning myself with that anger all the time. So yeah, it was really, I guess, an act of self-love. It was totally self-empowering and it's free. It's a choice that we can all make so yeah it was it was my key to freedom basically
0: and and, it, and it's amazing because so often when we're experiencing personal pain you, you can see it spill out into communities into workplaces into other relationships where people who don't quite know how to deal with that pain properly transfer it to others and and I've been in workplaces and I've been in societies and communities where I, where I can see it happening but but you know what you've experienced there is is that you've been able to have and harness the power, to be able to let that stop with you, and and you've made the conscious choice to say no, this this isn't going to continue to affect my life, and and as you describe in the book, it's the best revenge plan. Rather than let them destroy you, you have built a wonderful life, and and you're now inspiring so many other people for for good, and that's just an incredible process that that I've been privilege to, to to witness from from a point of reading reading what you've what you've experienced and you know like i say i'm not surprised that it took you so long to write the book because you don't hold back any of the details but i think that is no <laughs> so, well it, i think that's really important because when i when i one of the things that dismays me the most when i look at it every time it comes out is that the rape statistics for conviction in this country are woefully low um, and it's even worse in Scotland. I hate to tell you, I think we're about four or five percent
1: of all cases that make it to court, end in conviction, and that's the cases that make it to court. So many are thrown out before they even get to court. So it's shocking. You think, why would somebody report it if that's what you have to go through? It can be so re-traumatizing, re-triggering to get to court that, and the chances of getting a conviction are so slight that it's it's, it's a rubbish system at the
0: moment. It really is. Mm. It's it, it's tragic, and and. Like you say, it's about so many people who don't yet have their have their voice. And uh, that's why the tribute at the start is for those who, who haven't had their voice yet. And what I loved was when you went to um, the event where, oh, I forget the name, but you had your book signed and, and all they put in was, now you must speak. And- yeah, it's an amazing woman
1: called Marion Partington who's also with the Forgiveness Project and her sister Lucy had been murdered by Rose and Fred West. And they went to hear her speak. It was the first event the Forgiveness Project, they're normally in London, but it was in Glasgow, two minutes from where I lived. I thought, like, I've got to go and meet someone. I had only just joined them myself. And, yeah, she wrote her book, beautiful book, If You Sit Very Still, Now You Must Speak. And then I could do that. And I thought, where does it come from?
0: I can't speak. But, yeah, I found out I could. I found mm. I could do it. And, and perhaps that is how we begin to, to address the system, is by one person speaking at a time and touching other people who then speak. And and I think that's a a wonderful...
1: Well, we've seen that, really, haven't we? We've hashtagged MeToo phenomena that when one person speaks out, it encourages other people to find their voice. And I was quite fortunate, I guess, the timing of my book came out just before the hashtag was reinvented, because Tarana Burke really invented it, you know, 10 years prior to that. And it was phenomenal, the support I got, you know, from... Uh, you know, being able to message Rosanna Arquette or Rose McGowan because we're connected on Twitter, all these famous Hollywood stars just connecting with each other because of a simple hashtag that we all have the same shared lived experience. You know, I've never have met these people otherwise. I've never have done half of the things. Jeremy Vine uh, responded to a tweet that I put up and next the week later, I'm on his show. That would never have happened if I hadn't have put a hashtag me too. It's just it's very powerful and one person speaks, it really helps other people find their voice and that's really why I speak out to help others who can't find their voice yet so that they can speak one day and start healing.
0: And that's where you see the great power of technology and of social media. You know, we still have such you know, coarse and rudimentary issues like racism in football and sexism and equal pay and so many other things. But like you say now, if you if you look even as one example of, of Marcus Rashford with the Free School Meals campaign, yeah. you, you look at what's happened with the power of a voice and social media and there is real encouragement there that movements can build and, and people get to a point where they say, no more, we're going to take a stand against this and and it does have a real impact and that's really... Uh, encouraging and ennobling when when you think about it I I want to ask you if I may there there will probably be people listening to this who are perhaps not quite as far down the road as you are now and and perhaps at some point on that journey of of dealing with the immense pain and, and, and trauma that comes with some of these really awful experiences that people might have been through Maybe they think the odds are stacked against them. Maybe they don't have the tools yet to be able to process that pain or or to deal with it effectively. What recommendations would you give to people to begin that process of healing and and forgiveness and overcoming the, the challenges that they're set with?
1: Tell someone your story, you know, find someone to speak to because when we keep it inside, we hold ourselves back. And I think if you can find someone that you trust, you know, be very careful who you share your story with doesn't necessarily have to be a counsellor. Find someone that you trust. And just by giving your oxygen, by saying those words out loud, you just release so much of stuff, energy, that was held inside of your body for years and years. I know people, it can take decades to speak. But, you know, to really be listened to, to be heard, to be believed, there's nothing, nothing more powerful than that. If it's in a safe, supported space... It can just be life-changing. So find someone to share your story with. And if you can't find someone, then stop denying what's happened. Write your story down. Tell yourself your own story. But, you yeah, know, go and find someone to share it with.
0: I think that's immensely powerful. And and it is having that courage, as you say, but that's why I now love the name you've got of the courage cultivator, because that is something that we all have to do is is cultivate the courage to to speak up and speak out regardless of the the issue that we're facing. And it is that idea of a problem shared is, is a problem halved. And when we do find somebody to have on side, um, it really does make that difference. You know, somebody else, somebody else helping you pull until you can pull yourself. And uh, that's why in our reciprocal interview, I talked about my wife because she was that one person who I had on my side at the time when I didn't think I could pull it by myself. Uh, and so it, it is finding that person regardless of it's a, if a friend a family member a professional um to to help you with that you you remind me of a poem are you familiar with the poem invictus yes i am a little bit yes <laughs> I, absolutely love it. I, I just want to share this because i while i read your book and and while you've been speaking it it's it's reminded me of it so it's it's a 19th century poem by william Ernest Henley who during his youth and growing up uh, I, I believe got pneumonia or, or some illness and uh, had to have his leg amputated. And and there could have been a tendency towards bitterness. But uh, in fact, he wrote Invictus, and, and it's obviously a film now with uh, Morgan Freeman. But I'm just going to share it with you because I think it, it sums you up, Madeline, perfectly. It says, uh, out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. I just think it's a wonderful set of lines and uh, it just reminds me of of the courage and the resilience that you uh, have shown in in your story and for anybody that hasn't for goodness sake what are you doing get get on and read the book uh, or watch the tedx talk and uh, and you'll see just what we're we're talking about but tell me madeline how can people get in touch with you and what are you running at the moment that people can get involved with tell us a little bit more about those details
1: of course i have a website madelineblack.co.uk And like most speakers, when COVID came along, it very kindly emptied my diary. So I thought, what can I do in lockdown? And quite similar to yourself, I started a podcast show, which is called Unbroken, the podcast with Madeleine Black. And I share stories of people, just amazing people that have overcome really tough stuff that they are now making a difference for others. And just to show that none of us are broken beyond repair and just to show that spirit of humanity that we all have that strength inside of us you know I don't believe I'm superhuman I don't have superpowers but we all can dig deep and really choose how we respond to any any event in our life so the podcast has been brilliant Uh, I've really enjoyed doing that and slowly I've been doing a few more speaking events they are online I was at Barnsley College twice last week for their Crime and Justice we week I spoke to about five or six hundred students so that that was good um but yeah i'm just googling along but if they go to my website they'll find me and i'm on all the social social media platforms as well
0: wonderful well we'll put all of those links into the show notes for people to access as long as, as well as links to your TEDx talk and your book so that people can can access those as well and it just remains for me to to say that i have stood on sacred ground or sat on sacred ground this morning uh, and had the chance to to speak with you it's been an absolute privilege and uh, uh, I have great reverence for, for everything that you've, you've been through, but also how you have turned it into something quite remarkable uh, as a gift that you now share to other people and, and empower them. So, Madeleine, thank you very much for giving me time and coming on the show this morning, and I uh, wish you the very best with everything that you're doing at the moment.
1: You're very welcome. Thanks for inviting me on.
0: Thank you for tuning into today's episode of Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. I hope that what you've learned in today's episode will help you become a more effective communicator as you put it into practice. You can visit my website simonspeaks.co.uk for more information, tips, articles and resources or to speak to me about working with me as a coach. I'm also available on Twitter and Instagram at underscore simonspeaks. I'm on LinkedIn and I also have a YouTube channel. Just search for Simon Speaks. Thanks again for tuning in today and I look forward to seeing you again next time.